Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to find freedom from the shame and pressure of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode with Lynn Wilder and Joel Grote as they and their guests share personal stories and wisdom from the Bible that just might surprise you. We invite you to experience a grace that heals. Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. I'm Lynn Wilder. And I'm Joel Grote. And once again, we have Sandra Tanner with us as our very special guest. We've been doing a whole series with her as she's recounted um, her life in Mormonism, then transitioning out of Mormonism with her husband, Gerald, with whom she was involved in research and ministry uh, for many years until he went to be with the Lord and she has continued to be in ministry. And... Today, what we want to focus on, we've been hearing a lot of her story, and I believe this is podcast episode six six with her. (laughs) So um, go back, listen to one through five. There's a lot of great stuff in there, a lot of of really cool stories, a lot of ways that God has showed up and been at work, and a lot of ways that his grace um, has been extended to Sandra and to Gerald in their ministry. And so... What we were wanting to focus on today, Sandra, is what changes you've seen in even how people view you and your ministry and the whole area of Mormon research. Because when you started out, you were pretty much persona non grata to anybody who wasn't a Christian. If they were pro-Mormon, they were anti-Tanner. It was just kind of how it worked. Um, And yet it seems like today that is not so much the case. So we just would like to hear kind of how things changed and what maybe brought about some of that change that caused even Mormon people today over the last several years to be more open to the type of research you and Gerald did for so long. Uh, Yeah, well, back in the 60s, when we were running our little printing business, uh, we hadn't thought yet of ourselves as a ministry. We were just printing material that we hoped people would be able to come to faith in Christ after breaking free of Mormon um, thought reform that had convinced them all that we were of the devil and everything was a big lie. Uh, Things have really changed since then. But in the 60s, you didn't have, well, 70s, 80s, look, I guess, where but in the 90s, we didn't have internet. And that, the internet absolutely changed everything because in the earlier, periods, you could give someone a piece of our literature or a photocopy of a Mormon document, and the Mormons would just say, well, that's all lies. You can't trust anything from the Tanners. They just make that (laughs) stuff all up. And and the average person wouldn't know how to deal with it. They wouldn't know where to go to even try to correct the viewpoint of the person. Uh, And if they had a photocopy, they'd be dismayed at why the person wouldn't accept it. I had one lady tell me, we had done a reprint at one time of the Book of Commandments, and many of the photos of the pages came from Yale University's copy of the Book of Commandments. And so this lady wrote to us and uh, told us she had showed that to her friend, and the friend said, well, you can't believe anything that comes from Yale University. They're all communist, and they think they changed the Book of Commandments, and that's why it reads differently, see? So there, it wow. hasn't been changed. And well, <laughs> how do you correct someone on that? You know, I, I'd have to physically take her to the library and show her that before she would believe. 
Right. You, know, you had a real disadvantage. Nowadays, you can just Google Book of Commandments and it will pop up the whole copy for you. Right. right. Uh, it's so much easier now to verify when we say uh, whatever has been changed in Mormonism. You don't even have to go to one of our websites. You can just Google the thing itself and probably put up uh, all kinds of articles on it. So it's, it's absolutely amazing what the internet has done to change that. Right. And that's part of why, part of the reason people think more kindly of us nowadays is that there are more ways to verify that what we said way back when is actually what the situation is. The internet's one of those things. The other thing that's really changed is recently in the last 10 years, the Mormon church has had this effort of the Joseph Smith papers where their archivists and historians have been working very diligently to put up photographs online on their Joseph Smith papers project, all the early documents of Joseph Smith and the revelations of uh, their scriptures, their own bits of history. And Diaries and journals Diaries, of Joseph yeah. Smith and other people. Yeah. And that's absolutely changed things because it's so easy now to go to a Mormon site, done officially by the church, and uh, verify many of the things that we've talked about. So you have the internet, and from that, things like the church website, uh, and it's not the regular website of the LDS churches, uh, historians website that's called the Joseph Smith Paper Project. Okay. And so those have really changed things. Um, through the years, we were uh, bad-mouthed a lot, and I still get letters today from people asking my forgiveness for the terrible things they said about me years mm. past. <laughs> they yeah. now changed their mind. Uh, so those are aspects of it. Um, in the 1980s, we had the uh, situation of the, the um, Mark Hoffman forgery case where yes. he was committing forgeries of Mormon documents and he ended up later uh, killing two people. And Mark Hoffman had been down to see us before he was caught of being a forger. Uh, Gerald had come out at one point with a public statement that he felt there was something wrong with some of Mark's documents. He didn't doubt all of the things Mark was doing or, or selling, uh, but certain ones he was pretty sure had to be forgeries. There was uh, parallel wording to earlier documents that he felt Mark Hoffman had plagiarized from to come up with his mm. document. <clears throat> when uh, he committed the murders, there was a big trial. Uh, well, not trial, but preliminary hearing. Then there were, well, first there were three paperback books, and then the Mormon Church, five years later, brought out their book on the massacre, on the uh, murders. And so when, when these books came out, they all mentioned Gerald coming out before the murders even happened, that Gerald came out in print and said, hey, I think there's something wrong with at least some of these documents. Mm. So when Gerald gets mentioned as blowing the whistle before anyone else had thought of it, or at least no one else had printed on it, people reading the books on Hoffman that were not reading it with the idea of reading anti-Mormon literature, they were just reading about this murder case in Utah. Right. And all of a sudden, here's the Tanners <laughs> in the middle of their book. Uh, and it's saying, Gerald Tanner uh, realized there was something wrong with his documents a year before the murders. 
everyone in Utah had seen the Deseret News uh, at the time, uh, a year before the murders, where it showed the president of the church and his counselors all looking at one of Mark's documents that was a forgery. Right. And uh, that it turned out we were right, that that was not a valid document. Right. So and, like, and the other thing to me that really, I think, made Gerald's statement stand out in his position was that the document in question he was talking about was called the Salamander Letter. Right. And it was a document that really made the Mormon Church and Joseph Smith look bad. I mean, because it pointed to the whole magical origins. And so right. even though this is a document that if it were true, would really um, put Joseph Smith in a bad light, in a very negative light, yet here you are saying, as much as we maybe like it to be true, we have serious concerns and reservations about this even being a true document. And this is where everybody else is accepting it as true. And I think right. at that point, some of the Mormon historians had even authenticated it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so there's, uh, and th I mean, that's what integrity does. Integrity is willing to stand for the truth, even when you'd like the truth to not be true, it would go better for you if it wasn't. <laughs> and that was you and Gerald, your ministry was always marked by that commitment to the truth regardless of if it made your case or not right and when when people read the books and then it dawned on them well how could your apostate gerald tanner figure this out and the prophet god <laughs> is in the on the deseret news front page looking at the document as though it were totally authentic so this caused a big um struggle in a lot of people's minds that how could gerald be right and the prophet wrong so yeah. I would say the the difference in people coming to us markedly changed at the time of Mark Hoffman. Before that, people heard of us, they just believed whatever, you know, they're just crazy, whatever. Even if they didn't think we made it up, they thought we were crazy. And so suddenly Gerald has credibility. And that really upped the game on how many people came to see us. Uh, so it was a real turning point. But the next one was the invention of the Internet. And when we started putting stuff, well, not just us, everyone started putting stuff on the internet, challenging different truth claims of Mormonism and giving the historical references for it. That was another major shift in the uh, history of uh, interaction between Christians and Mormons. Yes. And now there's more ministries out there, more information. Uh, so many on the internet uh, are able to combine their efforts or add their efforts to what's already been done so that it's much easier for people today to get informed on uh, is Mormonism biblical? Uh, is there life after Mormonism? You can go on the internet and find people's testimonies of coming out of Mormonism, uh, support groups like your ministry has had. Uh, these are all things that have broadened all of our influence to reach out to the Mormon community and it is working. So we're, we're very thankful for everyone's efforts on all of that. So as you say that, what to you are some of the signs? What's the, maybe the anecdotal evidence? Because I'm not sure what there are in terms of numbers of people who are actually leaving. But what is the indications in terms of how many people are leaving or how many people are simply going inactive, um, not attending? Is like ward attendance down? Are they like closing and consolidating wards? Um, what are you seeing? there in Utah? Well, anecdotally, I'm told of uh, 
wards closing in some areas, this is more pronounced than others. It's, it's not equally um, slowing down in all wards. In Utah, because of the social pressure uh, in, and people's family community, there is more of a pressure to be at church or to be yeah. active. Uh, however, there are wards closing in Utah. And uh, I mean, it's not like a landslide closing, but there are indications that the numbers are in wards are going down. We are told of stakes that have had to enlarge uh, their boundaries so that they could include a more active priesthood people in it. In a given ward or stake, you have a certain number of priesthood jobs that have to be filled. And okay. so as you lose priesthood men, where are you going to pull in the people to fill those jobs? Well, you can enlarge your state so that it covers a greater area where you hopefully could staff things better. But what that uh, does is it means you're also consolidating wards. That Yes, uh, okay. And so as you do, they have to, re the ward has to reach out to a larger mass to get enough people to run their ward. <laughs> and so, and this is true in uh, Europe and different places around the world where I hear reports of the adults that are called on missions in Mormonism, where they go out and serve for a few years at their own expense, that a lot of them, what they're doing on their mission is filling in, in as a stake president or as a bishop or uh, different positions in a stake so that everything can run. Wow, because normally that would all be staffed by local people. Yes. So okay. the... Um, anecdotal reports I get on the activity level is that like England is uh, just practically dead. Uh, not that there aren't wards out there, but there's just hardly anything going on. And so many of the wards outside of America are really struggling with uh, having enough people to cover their, the, the major offices they got to have filled. <laughs> So all of Europe, don't you think, probably yeah. at least since the Swedish rescue a few years yeah. ago, 10 right. years ago, probably. Right, right. And the Swedish rescue is about a Swedish high level Mormon uh, man who uh, started to read more widely and started to find problems. And then he had people in his country come to him and ask him, uh, what are the answers to these problems we see on the Internet? all of which made him search even more. And finally, uh, some general authorities had to come out. And I, I hope people know what general authorities are. The top leadership of the church, they had to send a couple of men out to Sweden to talk with some of the Swedish leadership that were troubled by the different historical changes and problems in early Mormonism. And it, the meeting didn't go well because the church didn't really come with any answers. And as a result of that, many of the people that went to the meeting ended up leaving the church because they realized, well, the, the church doesn't have an answer for these problems. So this uh, had an effect on uh, a lot of Europe, just because um, Hans Madsen, who was the uh, area authority in uh, Europe, uh, said, there, we're not finding any answers. So things like this are happening more often in areas all around the world that are causing people to pull back and say, I, this isn't what I thought it was. Evidently, Mormonism teaches things I didn't know. Uh, I thought it was based on the Bible. And more and more, I see that it's almost all Joseph Smith and very little Bible. So we're seeing a big backlash 
around the country, around the world, uh, in response to critical things that have come up on the internet. There are different Christian books like um, Lynn's and Micah Wilder's books that have helped people on their journey to Christ. So they've all had a, a part of it. Now, when um, COVID hit and the Mormons closed their ward houses for quite a long time, uh, and uh, <laughs> that was kind of funny, some of the effects of that, mm -hmm. because with COVID and Mormons having their service at home, they have communion every Sunday. Well, if you're a single mom, you don't have the authority to administer the sacrament to your kids. And so some elder uh. on the other side of town had to come to your house and give you communion. The woman couldn't pray over the elements and distribute them herself. She had a priesthood man do this. Uh, that brought attention to a lot of people that hadn't thought about it, <laughs> that uh, women are kind of second-class citizens in this group. Uh, so that started some people searching on the internet that wouldn't have otherwise. But the end result of that is now that there's, oh, they've opened their churches back up, the numbers haven't come back. Now, I realize this is true for a lot of churches around the world. It isn't just the Mormons that are affected by this. Yes. Uh, but the Mormons are heavily affected by the fact that people found out they could do church at home or not at all. And uh, that they had a nice Sunday. So <laughs> well, <laughs> without our, our ministry was never busier, I don't think, than during COVID. Why? Because people weren't going to church and they had this hole for the spirituality that they felt yeah. like they got at church every week. Yeah. And so it's very easy to go on YouTube, right? And just find a pastor, look yeah. up a topic. And yeah. so I found a lot of Mormons were watching Christian pastors, especially since the church says we're Christians too, right? And right. we have the Bible yep. in common, so certainly we can do that. And that was opening their eyes. And I, I had the time when I was home at COVID to do one-on-one -on -one Bible study with people. And we were really, really busy. And I think you're right that that really, really... Um, impacted people because they began then to question, right? Yeah. Because they weren't in that routine where they constantly had to do their calling and they were so busy, they can't even think about it. Well, now they're thinking about it, right? The other thing about Hans Madsen, so Hans Madsen was a general authority of the church over Europe at yeah. the time that people came to him with questions and then he yeah. began his own faith. And Hans, um, actually told his story to the New York Times that he was questioning his yes. faith in Mormonism. And it came out in the New York Times, I believe it was July of 2013. And then my book, Unveiling Grace, came out the next month, August of 2013. And Zondervan, the publisher, was shocked to find out that the first printing of my book sold out in two days. Oh, well, yeah. Why? Well, <laughs> because there were all these questions that Mormons yeah. out there questioning their faith that people weren't even aware that they were there, right? Yeah. Until some of this started becoming kind of okay to question your faith. And yeah. a lot of that started, I think, with Hans Matson because he was so public about his questions. Right. And, and he so was, and he was a general authority. And yeah. at the time, 
I mean, you had the, your last position had been as a tenured professor with Brigham Young University. So here you have a general authority and a BYU professor, both who are coming out saying there are serious problems, serious enough that we're leaving the church. Yeah. That's enough to make a lot of people say, okay, what are they, what do they know that I don't know? Right, right. And what I meant to offer was uh, something better after Mormonism, right? right. And yet, yes. people go a lot of strange places, right? There are some kind of fringe <laughs> prophet people. Yeah. There are folks who keep the Book of Mormon. Why don't you tell us about some of those places that people go after Mormonism? Well, one of the problems with Mormonism right from the start has been internal um arguments and disagreements on doctrine, on the position of the LDS church, uh, how it should be practiced, who should have the priesthood, all those things have been a problem from the first couple of years. So you had people breaking off from Mormonism during Joseph Smith's lifetime, saying that he was a fallen prophet. And so they start another group that's supposed to be the true church. The Strangites. <laughs> we yes, ran into uh -huh. them in Wisconsin. All kinds of odd yes. groups, right? Mm -hmm. right? More than what would 200 splinter groups? Uh, minimum, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think Stephen Shields in his book, Divergent Paths mm. of the Restoration, he documented, I think, over 220. Mm. And that yeah. he wrote that book back, what? Sandra, was that in the lot of late 70s, ago. 80s? Yeah, it was quite yeah. a while ago. Plus all the polygamous <laughs> variations, yes. right, of Mormonism. Right. That, so in today's world, you have a group, the ones that follow this man by the name of Snuffer. Right, yes. and, Denver uh, Snuffer. Denver Snuffer, <laughs> he's got one uh, claim of uh, having the true way. I don't know if he's quite to the point yet of saying he's the only true prophet, but these groups keep popping up. Uh, over different issues. Uh, so when a, someone starts to question Mormonism, uh, if they're still hanging on to some core part of Mormonism, they start looking at the splinter groups, the mm -hmm. breakoffs, and see, well, maybe maybe the church went astray at such and such a year, so maybe this guy has the true way of things, and we'll go that way. And so they, some people drift around to different ones of the splinter groups. But then another choice people make is they think, oh, well, maybe it's new age and I don't need this structure and church and all this. And uh, they get into a lot of stuff that way. You have some that drop out and go into magic and mysticism, uh, magic objects, uh, Ouija boards or whatever. Uh, yeah. Because of Joseph's involvement in magic. So you have a certain element that go that direction. Yes. And, <laughs> and we, inter we interviewed a young guy who he was college age when he was starting to doubt. And that's where mm -hmm. he went. He said, ah, Joseph's got seer stones. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explore stones and crystals and yeah right yeah so you have all sorts of different voices calling to the mormon that leaves of where to find the truth some wander in the desert uh, of all of these various claims for some time before they may finally meet a christian and uh, start studying christianity again here in utah we do have a christian music station and we have a christian station that plays sermons by different pastors. Uh, and those two have both helped many people come to faith in Christ here in Utah that gives them a neutral source that like riding in their car, nobody knows what they're listening to. Yep. <laughs> and they can follow these different ones. And I tell people have told me of coming to Christ from 
surreptitiously listening to the Christian radio, <laughs> going back and forth to work. So there's all sorts of ways that God is reaching into our community to try to bring the message to them. Uh, unfortunately, many of them will end up just giving up Christianity altogether. It's not uncommon, unfortunately, for many of them to immediately throw the Bible out because all their life, the Mormon has been told the Bible's corrupted. It can't be trusted. Uh, that's why you need us as the Mormon church to be the only true church because no one else has the answers. Everyone is following corrupted voices and we're the only ones that got the solid voice. Yeah. So. And that is a great place to end this podcast episode and set us up for the next one because I think something would be very helpful to our listeners, Sandra, because you've got this long history, <laughs> is um, at least at the beginning, and we may go other places with it, but at the beginning of the next podcast, talk about, so what are some of the, the most common lies or myths that people are told about Christianity, about the Bible, about Jesus, within Mormonism that often keep them from maybe taking Christianity seriously or looking at the Bible? I'd like to kind of start there because you lived it. You were you were raised in it, multi-generational. And so I'd love to spend some time looking at what are the things that are told to Mormon people that just simply aren't true, either historically or biblically. Our ministry has identified 40 things, right, that Mormonism teaches you. And one of the books I did, Leaving Mormonism, Why Four Scholars Change Their Minds, we actually go through a lot of those lies that people are taught in Mormonism. And one of the reasons they go to these splinter groups or they go to these strange places is that root comes from something in Mormonism that they have an interest in or believe is true. And they don't okay. ever think to re-examine that. And so, um, yeah, that'd be a great thing to talk about. Sandra, thank you again for your time. Grace and peace to you, my friends. Until next time. Amen. So long. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. You can find show notes and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. We would love to hear how the podcast has helped you. We are so grateful for you, our listeners, and the donations that keep us on the air. To say thank you, we are offering a free gift with a donation of any amount. Just go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the free gift button to get yours. Thanks for joining us on the Unveiling Grace Podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals. Mm -hmm.